0: Well, will you join me in First John? We are journeying through this letter together. Uh, I had some people we were speaking after first service, and some things stuck out to them. And I said, "Man, it's just awesome to be able to do this. I, I love to be able to just go through the Word of God together. Uh, I love teaching topically. I love you know teaching in in other ways. I was able to share yesterday." uh, It was called an AWARE conference addressing just citizenship and involvement, and I'll share more of that uh, in the future on some little bits and pieces. But it was a different type of teaching, different type of sharing with this pastor's forum approach. And then today I get to just kind of come back and go right through the Word, and that's what I was encouraging in the conversation on the patio. It's great that we can go through the Word together. Because you can then go home and chew on it and think about it. And, and God will give you an awareness like, I wonder why he didn't mention this verse, which ties together so good with that second point. And Isn't that awesome? You can just dig in and, and follow along. So, but as you've been going through 1 John with me, I, I want to mention something that I think by way of analogy or, or picture helps us to see this particular letter, uh, maybe even more so than some other parts, portions of Scripture. There's patterns within this particular one, and I like to think of it as like uh, fabric that has uh, threads woven through it. You have different colors and patterns that when they're knit together, they make a beautiful garment. Now, we don't think of that too much because we used to go to the rack and buy it, correct? Uh, When I was in Israel here recently, I was able to watch, and they were reenacting and showing how first century Christians, how they lived. And how they put together their garments, their, you know, their outer coverings and stuff. And to see how the different colors of thread were all brought together and woven together. That's just fascinating to me. And so we see here in 1 John, maybe a picture of that. Because 1 John repeats and presents certain things. There's a pattern that we see that just keeps showing up. It repeats and presents the love of God and the necessity of turning from sin. So that's on this fabric of Scripture. We see the thread of obedience and the invitation to live God-honoring lives wonderfully crafted into this, the body of this letter. And so I say that because, like many other things, a garment, a artwork, a landscape, it's important to see the overall when we consider the detail. You know what I'm saying? I mean, sometimes if we're looking too closely just at one verse and one thing, we, we can get kind of a little tilted. Could even get off track, quite honestly. But when we back away and see the, the beauty of the overall picture, the overall letter, if you would, I think it certainly helps us. And we're gonna look at a portion today that is going, it's a pattern, it's a, it's a reminder of who we are and how we are and who he is. So join me in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 6 of chapter 4, 1 John 4, and then we'll see where we go from there. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming, and now already in the world, is now already in the world. Verse 4, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So now we've got to picture the picture, the overview. Let's go now look into more intricately, more closely at, at what we have here for a passage. And so we have uh, verse 1 Something that's addressing not being foolish or not being naive, beloved. Don't believe everything you hear. Just because somebody has the cliche or the Christian jargon or some way of saying it, not everyone who speaks about God believes God. Some believe in a God. Some are okay with the idea of a creator, or creator, or plural. We're told here that just because someone's saying something, and, and we live in a culture and a time when people are okay with this discussion, as long as it's not personal. By personal, I don't mean what you person, as a person, believe, but as long as it's not personal, personal in the identity of God. If God is kept at a general concept and a thought and theory, that's fine. But when you start talking about the truth of the gospel, of who God really is, you know as well as I do, it gets a little awkward. Matter of fact, some even don't even want to discuss that. They just want to have a general sense. And notice what it says here. Don't believe everything, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Test there speaks of to prove. Um, It it speaks of, uh, in a way, you confirm or, or you check and make sure. See, truth seekers... We're to listen, to look, and, and to weigh out what we receive. Let me give you an analogy from my own life in a sense of comparison. You know, For 20 years, right out of high school, before I, was even, gra- before I even graduated, I worked in a, a, a truck shop, basically. we did uh, my, pro- my job primarily was um, to do paint and body work, wreck repair on semis. And I did that for 20 years. The the early part, the first 10 years or so, was primarily around painting. At that time, this was some time ago, so we had these things called scales because it was, in a sense, pre-digital. And so we literally used physical scales to mix the paint. So your paint, you you know, you've probably been to the paint store and you see how they put together the formula for whatever color you pick. Well, it's the same there. It's a little different variation, but... You know, you would take, say you wanted a, a gallon of white, maybe you selected Pepsi-Cola white, 817, or the previous number was 21667, which means nothing to anyone, anywhere, but it's logged in my mind. for It won't remove. I don't know why. It just won't leave. And if I kept quit saying it, maybe there'd be a chance. Anyway, so here's this white. But white's interesting. White looks off-white. And to get this bright white... It's called blue-toned white, really. So you set the scale, you set this almost a full gallon of paint on the scales. You balance it out till you're zeroed. And then you take and you measure by grams toner into that to get the right mix. So you pour in a little bit of blue-tone, actually, and then you throw it up, and that's how you get the right mix. So you have to weigh it out. And ultimately, it's kind of what's being told here. Weigh out what you hear. Make sure what you're hearing is actually truth. There's a great example. We'll bring it up. You can turn to it. It's in Acts chapter 17. This great example of what's being conveyed in this passage in First John. And what it is, is, is the Apostle Paul and others, Silas is with him, they're, they're going about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, a missionary journey, you could say. And as they go out, they go from city to city and with different results. Well, things didn't go great in Thessalonica. And we pick up in verse 10 of Acts 17. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So here we have this example of this. this these guys were teaching, and, they're, and they're, you know, they're, the people were religiously minded in that culture, much like today and much like here. The Jews had their gathering place, and Paul and Silas, they go and they share. And, and those there that were true seekers go, hmm, that's interesting. That's fascinating that you mention Isaiah as the suffering Savior. That's very interesting that you're talking about that passage out of Micah. And they're hearing, they're receiving, but guess what? You see what they did, correct? They then, it says, because they're more level-headed, more fair-minded. Hey, I love you guys here. I love to hear you. You know, what's cool. We're interesting. It's nice to pick up this stuff. But they, with all readiness, they then went home. They searched the scriptures daily, daily to find out if these things were so. It's like, hey, you're saying that. You're mentioning that. You're bringing that out. So let me check this out. That's awesome. Not because they were the ultimate decision maker. Not because they knew scripture so well. It literally implies that like we 're open to hear, but we 're running this through the filter of truth this is This has got to be you know oriented and and settled in, and they're they 're testing and proving and confirming now move with me back to first John chapter four, as we see from Berea this practical way of how you 'd put it into to motion i 'll mention this for many of you you know um, who have you know, you're active duty military. You maybe have just got here. Some of you may be just about to leave here and where your journey will take you through your career. And when you get somewhere, you have a challenge that most people, most civilians don't face. Not Definitely not with the frequency. And that is when you get there, you got to find a church. You got to get plugged in. You want to get settled in and you got to weigh out. Okay, so gosh, you know what? I really like these guys. We connected well with them. But you have to weigh this out as well. You have to say, well, how do I make sure that they're actually teaching the Word of God? And do you see what it shows us? We test it. We prove. We take hold of it. That's why I really, I just love the way we are able to go through it. Because I value input. I value someone to say, hey, you know, last week you mentioned, you know, Ephesians 3 and this and this. And, you know, I looked at that and I really... I was really touched, but did you have you ever considered you know Colossians 3 as well? See, I don't see that as like someone trying to straighten me out. I love the input because I know they're digging in and I know they're like gaining and gleaning. And so here we have, we're now back over in chapter four, verse one. Test them, be sure. Why? Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Oh, hit the brakes. Pause, please. Wait a minute. This is first century. This is first gen Christian. This is from the start. This is first John. This is the letter. This is, and, and didn't all this false teaching come in later? No, actually it didn't. It accumulated. It kind of reciprocated. But it it there. It, it was there. Why should we test what we hear? Because there are false prophets going into the world. A prophet does not have to say, thus saith the Lord. That's the Old Testament model. And I I believe it's really, as you know, God said it that way. sometimes to get people's attention. But the gift of prophecy is God's word in a given situation. Speaking, you know, the, the prophets, the false prophets presented this is god's word for your life this is what you should do and the false ones actually had different motives which you'll see throughout the new testament the warning and what to watch for among false prophets it says they've they've gone into the world verse two so what do we do about it well here's one of your tests to run by this you know the spirit of god Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. So one of the tests to run, and you can think of your own uh, comparison or analogy, you know, if you've done diagnostic work or any type of troubleshooting or any type of even, you know, working in, in chemical areas and different things, you have certain tests and certain things to confirm, okay, this is good, this is right, this is usable. Well, here's one of our tests. It's not meant to be the only test to run. But this hearing, this thing that's being presented and this thing that's being promoted, is it something that the person that is presenting it, do they agree or do they affirm and um, declare that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Now, let me break that down for you and we'll kind of consider why that is important. It's not just a simple sentence and a short phrase that if they say that, everything's okay. Let's just think about what that says. Jesus, Jehovah is salvation. That's what his name means. It's not just his religious reference point. Jehovah is salvation. His name, we're also told, tied with the Christmas story, is Emmanuel. Remember, Emmanuel means... God is with us. So here's what we have. God is with us. Jesus, this is God's uh, presentation. This is his proof. This is his promise. we have also Jesus who is also called the Christ. It's not his last name, like I'm Dan Davis, and that's not Jesus Christ. That's not how it works. It's Jesus, Jehovah is salvation, God with us, and he's the anointed one. Christos, the anointed one, the Messiah of God is really what it means. The one who God said, I know your situation. I know your dilemma, humanity. I know your rebellion. I know what you've done. And I will take care of it for you because you can't fix it. And it's told, we're told that in Genesis, that this prophet, in chapter 3, that this prophet, this one to come, would be the one that will take away the sins of the world, will take away what we're dealing with. And so we have Jehovah, God is salvation, God with us. He's the anointed one. He's not just a religious figure that fits in with many other religious figures. He's the one specifically of God. He is God. And notice it says there, as it goes on to say, has come in the flesh. Which means he's fully God and fully man. Fully God and fully man. For him to pay the debt of sin, he can't He can't be... Um, fully God and not fully man. Uh, it, it sounds kind of odd, but I'm trying to think of a way to compare it. And I, I've used this before. I still like it. I'm a, maybe just a little too adrenaline oriented. but So you have this drag race set up. And you have this little Volkswagen. It's a box stock Volkswagen. And the Volkswagens are all running against each other. And you got the one that wins. And then you have this top fuel dragster running against the little one. And it it wins because it's equipped different. It's super powered. It doesn't have the restrictions and the limitations that the bug has. See, God come as fully as man. He set aside his divine prerogatives. Can we remember that? He didn't come as God, so immune to temptation, so like separated and so powerful that nothing would bother him. He came to his own, and we're told in Hebrews that he went through what all of us go through. He had placed before him the very reality of humanity and did not sin. So here he's fully man and fully God, which is fully confusing. But it's actually real simple. He came as a man. God himself, God is salvation, the anointed one, came as a man and took on full human frame. Why is that important? Well, it's important because that's how he presents and shows that we can be forgiven is his work. At that time, there was a, a doctrine, and it, it's still the same. It's, it's, just a, it's the same deceptive doctrine, but it's just got a different frosting decoration. It's called Gnosticism, Gnosis, to know. And at that time, it really started, you know, it was really, really popular Because here's what Gnosticism, in a sense, was saying, and Dueticism is another one. So basically what it said was, people pretty much are kind of good, but they're stuck in these bodies of the physical, in the physical realm. And being in these physical bodies, the, the body does bad things, and so the body is a bad deal. So therefore, what's happening is actually the body doing it, and it's not you. The body's bad. Therefore, you know, we have this higher knowledge, this higher revelation. Well, the problem that produced, when the Messiah came, how can you say he was fully man, if you've already said man's fully corrupt, if you said that physical is bad? So they were basically presenting that Jesus was ethereal, that he was a spirit, that he was not manifested in physical frame it was appeal to the visible eye but he wasn't a man he was just a spirit that took on this illumination or this configuration of a man and so that was very popular at that time it's actually not un- it's not uncommon today quite honestly because people believe that the body is you know it's in the body that we do bad things therefore the body's bad because after all we're all pretty good people i mean at heart we just you know we just want to be good that's false false so he has come in the flesh and every spirit that does not confess that jesus christ has come in the flesh is not of god so it wasn't meant to be just limited for that era that time this this teaching it it, it's to to be grasped by you and i he came as a man fully god and fully man to pay the price that man could not pay the price of redemption the price of new life now let's carry it into some contemporary, some application. Where we see that you know, some deny that Jesus is the Christ, that he come as a man. It says the spirit, verse 3 is where I'm reading, and this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the building. Well, no, not in the building, but in the world today. Many deny who Jesus is. The doctrine of the Mormons denies who Jesus really is. I'm not going to pick on any particular person. I said that very thoughtfully. The doctrine of even, I would say, the Mormon organization denies who Jesus really is. They present in their teaching, the doctrine, the organization, the leadership, that God in this time past wanted a plan of salvation, and to his, to his two sons, his two children, spirit brothers, Jesus and Lucifer, presented to him a plan of salvation. The plan of salvation they individually presented, the father accepted Jesus' plan of salvation, and Jesus' spirit brother, Lucifer, his plan was rejected, and the result is what we have in the world today, Jesus and Lucifer. See, there's a problem with that. It's this fabrication. It's a, it's, a, it's a distorted and effective way to change the deity of Jesus Christ, to present that he is not fully God, that he's not the creator, but rather he's this. And the, and the doctrine is so embedded and, and it, it so pats itself on the back that it says as, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man can be. I'm not making this up. I'm just sharing with you, and I'm not picking on people. I'm just saying, the organization, the teaching, this is all saying that it's a different Jesus. It's literally saying we don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. Jehovah Witnesses, Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is not the God of the Bible. He is a God, and they literally change it from a capital G to a small g to present to you that he is not the God creator. You know what's ironic, what's interesting? If Both of these organizations use the Bible as their validation to some way say, hey, yeah, this this is how we really are. And I want to say something that's so important. Because we have to understand where we live and what's being taught. We have to recognize that the message... That is being presented is destructive, and you meet some of the the two groups I've just mentioned are some of the most wonderful, en- engaging, humanitarian, pleasant people I've ever met, ever involved with, ever connected with. I'm related to many who are still in line with that, and yet we can't just say, "Well, it's okay." We're all because we have the name. I mean, after all, it is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Of course, they believe in the no. Isn't this awkward? Some of you are real silent. Like, mm, I can't avoid it because this is where we all are. This is where we live. Many other organizations prevent, present their own definition of who Jesus is. They present, oh, it's the, he's this or he's that. Many individuals try to redefine who Jesus is. You notice what he's saying here. You've seen in the text that the spirit of the antichrist. So back when we first started 1 John, when we first addressed this term, Antichrist, we were able to see that there's two two descriptions and even to a degree definitions for it. Antichrist in that it's against Christ. There's some in our world today, by their own words and their actions and their arrogance, are Antichrist, they're against Christ. There's also some that have the other meaning which speaks of another Christ or instead of so the spirit of the Antichrist is is present today now we do know as we see this text you know that, that the antichrist the, the person himself will appear soon is a specific person um, he will accomplish specific purposes the, the, the Bible tells us God has revealed who this person will be and what how he' will unfold in the end times, in the latter days, specifically in that great tribulation period. But the spirit of the Antichrist, this attitude of the Antichrist, is, 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 is very present. It came from Satan himself, actually. Ezekiel 28, you can study on your own. Isaiah 14, they, they both speak of of Lucifer rejecting God and then being cast out of heaven prior to the Garden of Eden. There, there's a point where we're, we're told that even a third of heaven came, fell with them, with him. Because he rejected God's lordship, God's leadership. He basically said, I'll do it my way. He wasn't named Frank Sinatra, but that's kind of where the attitude came from. So i will just going to do it this way. And God said, you're out. You're done. And then he then is the one we know and his horde, minions, that influence the world today. The attitude of the Antichrist brought the fall of man and seeks to undermine all that God has done. That has been there since, for you and I as humanity, since the Garden of Eden. That attitude of something different. Well, why doesn't God do something about it, many say? He did. He did. He did do something about it. We know this as the one who come in flesh. Jesus Christ, he did something, he is doing something, and he will do something. It's been accomplished. It's already completed in the sense of the totality of it, but the timing of it is still unfolding. So in other words, the, the heavenly realm that we read about in Revelation 21 is, is done. We just haven't got there yet. Does that make sense? It's not like hopefully it'll happen because it sounds like a good deal if we ever make it that far. No, it's done. He's already done it. When Jesus said on the cross, something so powerful, deep that you could ponder it the rest of your days. He said, "It is finished. It's complete. He has fulfilled the Father's will." Moving on to verse four. Now, we know that this is what we're in the world we're in. That there's those who speak of a, a instead of Jesus or a different Jesus. That's the world that we're in, you and I. But he also says, as we're in this world, know who you are. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Them would be those who speak, or the the, the attitude of the Antichrist, these these ones who presenting that false truth, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So here's this, know who you are. Know who you are. Don't fall for false teaching. The emphasis here is interesting if you think about it. Taking from what we considered in Acts with the Bereans, seeing what the exhortation is through this letter, and we could look at other portions of Scripture, and we'll see there's a personal involvement. I have a pastoral position, an opportunity to shepherd the flock of God which is among us. I, I get to do that. But sheep eat. Like Micah was sharing earlier, you know, you, you present something to them, but they've got to take hold of it. it, it they get, they're given the opportunity to taste and see. And you too, we, we know, okay, I'm going to take hold of it, because I, want to know, I don't want to fall for false teaching. I want to know who I am. Here's some of the false teaching that, that you find, that you deal with, that I know people even in this room and, and people that are hearing online. You hear this presentation. This feeling, this perception, God doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. I mean, he loves Pastor Dan because he's up there talking to people about Jesus, so obviously he loves him. But he doesn't love you. God doesn't love that person. God doesn't care about you. Have you ever heard that lie? Have you ever had that sentiment, that feeling, this like kind of maybe wonder where'd that come from? Maybe the lie, the false teaching is you went too far. You went too far. You knew better. Put the bottle down. You knew better. Stop spending money on yourself. You knew better, but you went too far. And, and God, is, he's done with you. He's, he's been reaching out to you. You've been resisting. You've been rejecting. He's done with you. That is a false teaching. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The adversary of your soul, the very spirit of the other Christ, antichrist, is saying that to you. There's another lie that's common in our culture it's okay, other Christians do it. It's okay. I mean, I know people that do it. I mean, I feel kind of convicted, but I know people that do it. Then stop it. Stop it. Here's the thing. Obedience is not based on the majority. Correct? Obedience is a personal response to a known instruction from the living God. Life isn't as complicated as we want to make it, seriously. I'm really good at complicating things. But I've learned it's much better to simplify things. I want to hear, you want to hear as a Christian, one day, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. How could that possibly be? First of all, know who you are. You're the servant. Second of all, know what the master has to say. And the third thing, the greatest need in our world today, I believe, is for God's people to know his voice and obey his word in his power for his glory and their joy. For us to obey his word. When he prompts and says and leads, and we sort out what it means, which is what we're seeing here, then I just want to do it. I want to know who I am. It may be okay. I don't I don't it doesn't matter to me when I can find somebody to justify what I might want to do. I want to know what he has to say. Know who you are. Because if you look at this portion of this section of scripture in verse four. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's victorious. He has already, already accomplished the victory, and he invites us to enjoy it, to be a part of it, to know it. Know his victory. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You may not feel that sometimes. You may not even be able to rationalize that and bring it into the forefront for motivation. But you can hold on to it as a fact and a promise of the word of God. That he who is in you is greater than he who is in this world. Moving on to verse 5. They are of the world. That's the false teachers. Therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. False teachers flourish when truth is ignored. False teachers flourish when truth is ignored. I'm going to try to say this more accurate, more delicately, uh, maybe more distinctly than I did first service. But I'm ready to fail. It's okay. So the church embraced some things in the last couple of years that is just mind boggling to me. So go back to 2019, late December, going into 2020. There was a lot of confusion in the world, and there was a lot of unknown. And there was this pending danger, legitimately. So there was a natural response to COVID and people were trying to figure out where to do. And there's some really tough reports coming out of China and in Italy early on about how horrible this thing is and how extremely dangerous it is. And so, you know, then as time went along and science, the true science started showing some things. And you look, you just kind of a quick review of, of the last couple of years, specifically the last year and a half out of 2020. But what interestingly happened is the church errantly or arrogantly aligned with pseudo-medical science. They, they put themselves where they said they were the voice to tell people what to do with their personal health. That is not the place of the church. That is not the place of of the servant of God. And the church found themselves, and and whole movements and whole organizations are are belittling anybody who took any effort to think through what to do about their personal health. And it was was much of the church. I've seen some of the stuff that was said and done, and they grossly, completely out of place, lined up with the world. It was wrong, and it's still wrong. And so you see here guess what they're of the world of where they speak of the world. You know, we want to be very careful that we don't get drawn into these hot topics and these variables that seem to just kind of come and go but they're not just innocent and random. I believe they're intentional and they have a source. And we shouldn't be getting caught up into this this foolishness that's presented as intelligence and being critical of some race because you have a theory that's so ridiculous. Let's actually focus on one group and punish them because of their skin color while we, f- while we talk about all the others that are minors. They're minorities, so we're going to punish this one. Are, are you stupid? I mean that in the most indifferent way. Are, are you stupid? How can you say it's about race when you make race what it's about when you're saying you're trying to eliminate the very thing that you're creating? What's racism? We want to eliminate racism by being a racist. Too late to edit it now. (laughs) I don't get it. I don't don't think I'm the only one who's going, excuse me, is this not the very thing we're trying to eliminate? Is there not a better way to do it? Guess who, by title, not by position. Those who take the title of the church but don't know their position. They take the title of the church. They're joining in on this. Some of them are the front runners and the leaders of this, and they're completely out of place. I mentioned it that way because your position, who we are, we're the ecclesia. That's the word for the church. The called out ones. We're called out of this world for a purpose. And that purpose is to glorify God. The purpose is to be compassionate and kind and engaging as Jesus was in a world that's confused, hyper-political, and really wacko, which was the Roman times. And here we're called to engage and not join in with the world. I'm so glad we don't have three services because this is going to take an hour. (laughs) Another hour. False teachers will flourish when truth is ignored. I'm just going to say a few things. Just let you ponder and consider. What's what's approved by you in your school? What curriculums okayed by you? What's what's okay with our our school board? It, do we know what they do? do we, are we okay with what they do? I'm not. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying. Do you? Because it's your. Our, it's my responsibility. It's our responsibility. Do, are we aware, or do we just go? Oh man, that's a bummer. I heard about some of that stuff. You know. False teachers flourish when truth is ignored, and we are the agents of truth. So there's ways we can connect. It says, in we see there in verse 6, we are of God. He who knows God hears us. That's not to say that Paul and John and the others, how, hey, if, they, if we're talking, they're listening. No, see, here's the thing. If you know God, you hear us. He's, what he's saying is you hear our message because our message is his gospel. It's his message. You and I bring, we're, we're the us we bring the truth to people and they hear the truth of the gospel and we get to present that to them and when people receive it. Turn with me if you would to John chapter 10. We're going to look real quick at, at you know, Jesus is speaking there in verse 6 about he who, he who knows God hears us. And he taught an interesting portion that we're going to look at here in John 10 about hearing. Because the the, the antagonists. The religious self-righteous, the self-appointed rulers of the day, the the scribes and the Pharisees and the the Sadducees and all these different sects, they were completely convinced they had it all right. And they had some history. They come at him and they're confronting him. and We see in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He's presenting this picture that as a shepherd of sheep, as he speaks to the sheep. They know his voice. It's literally how they would call sheep out of a a multi-flock gathering, like a large flock with a lot of little flocks together. The shepherd, a loving, kind shepherd, could go and call his sheep, and just his voice they would follow. They understood his word. They knew. And so Jesus is addressing those who had a lot of religious background, a lot of religious influence. He's saying, you guys don't even know my voice. You're so caught up in the system, you have no idea the Savior is before your very eyes. You're just going about business. Let's jump back over and wrap up in First John. We're back over to verse 6. We are of God. He knows God hears us. By this we know the spirit of truth and error. Do you receive the truth? Or If you're born again, you receive the truth. Now, there's still some things that are in conflict within you. The things that I used to teach as a young pastor, as a young Christian even, I don't teach now. Because they were in error. And I've, I've learned that there's just some things as you mature and as you grow, hopefully you can, can be corrected. Because that's where the Spirit... So some error will not be corrected because people will not admit they're wrong. Or they'll promote something that's clearly wrong from Scripture, but they'll just keep pushing it. And the Spirit of truth and error is, is present. I, want, I, you, I just want to know, you to know that by application. Yeah, I'm looking at the clock. We can do this. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse seven, learn to love. Learn to love. We're told in Ephesians 4, chapter 3, the church, the body of Christ, were exhorted to be endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, so let's consider that. You don't endeavor to eat a bowl of your favorite ice cream, right? it's rather simple. There's not much resistance, quite honestly. It's in the bowl already. I'm not talking about the resistance you had before you went to the freezer. I'm talking about it's in the bowl. It's not endeavoring. Endeavoring talks about endurance, tenacity, the resist the difficulty. So we're to endeavor to keep something. What are we keeping? Endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace you we as Christians across all movements and denominations or subcategories, as we would call them, or whatever, Christians, we have the unity of the Spirit. We're to fight to keep it. We endeavor to take hold of it. So what does that mean? Learn to love. Learn to love. We all need to learn to love. There's a song out, country song that's called Hard to Love. So that's what Kim has to deal with, because I'm kind of hard to love at times, but, but I'm, I want to learn. I want to learn to love. And let me say a few things that don't think of someone specific. Don't, you know, just, just listen to me and don't say anything. But ponder. Some people are hard to love. I'm glad you didn't mention anyone by name, even your spouse or whatever. Some are hard to love. That's a truth. Some are even hard to like. Oh, no, you can't say that in church. (laughs) Jesus loves me. This I know. Well, not everybody else does. Some don't even like you. Some people are hard to look at. (laughs) It's just true. And the problem is we got to realize those are profiling. Those are realities. Those are personalities. But we can learn to love. We can learn to work through some things that we're like, Oh, maybe, maybe not. uh, I don't know. You know, I met with uh, a couple pastors yesterday at this conference I was at. And then on Thursday with several other pastors. Uh, There was probably 20 of us there. And over the last 23 years, we've met together. And we've got to know each other. And we labor together. And we're in different localities in the, you know, this southwestern Idaho, eastern Oregon kind of zone. There's men there that I've never done a conference with. And they've never done a conference with me. We've never done a retreat together. We never will. They're just different. I'm different. Their personalities are different. Their philosophy of ministry is different. Their approach to serving is different. It's okay. We can still love each other. See, too often we're trying to create a uniformity and calling it unity. It's no. It's just learn to love. We can learn to love. You have people in your life that God wants you to realize. Learn to love, because the Bible is telling you and I here that he who loves does he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we see in this text, you cannot contain that love. You can't cap it. You can't keep it in. It's the love that we have. If it's in you, it will shine out of you. If if it's in you. If you consider another analogy, it will flow forth from you. And so we want to realize that and not in any way hinder, quench, or restrict it. Because we see the ultimate example of love is Jesus himself. Jesus is the example of love. You see, manifested. Notice it ends with that we might live through him. Did you see that? That we might live through him. His love in us and working through us that we may live. This is not something that happens in heaven. It happens now. Love in heaven will be a lot easier because there just won't be all this weirdness of this world. There will be more uniformity in a very godly way, in a very different way. Live through him. This is a present tense. And I think you could take the term and consider the thought of present tense continuous as well. Continuing to learn to love. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As the worship team works their way back up and we close out, I want to uh, have you turn with me to where we'll close. And that's in Romans chapter 12. You may be going, "Um, I was here about three weeks ago. I think he closed with the same thing. And then a couple weeks before that, right in the middle of the message, I think it was Romans 12. And I know it wasn't three months before that. He'd spent a whole sermon on Romans 12, 1 and 2. All right, you were paying attention. <laughs> there's a reason I, I gravitate towards this, and I think you can see too, there's there's such so much there that it's a petition, a request. It's a command in Scripture, but it's also something that we will hold on to. So if you'll stand with me, what I would like to do is, I know it's unfamiliar sometimes, but we're to pray without ceasing to be aware of his presence and i'm going to pray this passage and then we're going to go right into a song of worship together so you may want to look at your you may look up there you may just want to listen however you want to do it i'm going to pray this portion because i believe it concludes our time so beautifully in exhortation and promise god thank you for this day thank you for this time thank you that you're patient with us and yet persistent your promises are proven and true And so, may we never forget that you, the one who are in us, Lord, you never leave us nor forsake us. You are greater than anything in this world. And so, God, may we be, as your children, reminded. May your mercies be evident and present in our consciousness. May we respond in a way that's just reasonable, as we would offer to you our bodies as living sacrifices, God. Just a reasonable response to such great expression of love that you've given us, Lord. In our lifestyles, may we not be conformed to this world and drawn in by personalities or persuasion or charisma. Lord, may we not conform to this world, but God, will you renew the way we think. May you help us to change the way we think. The renewing of our mind, Lord, would that be used as you would bring about this process of transformation changing us into your image and likeness, giving us the heart to serve, knowing the love that you have for us and that you work through us, that we would know, God, ultimately your will, that good and acceptable and perfect will you have for our lives. Thank you, God. Teach us your ways, O Lord. praise you, God. Now, if anyone here is not, you you don't have that relationship with Christ, you don't have a, a sense of confidence of who you are with him, I'm going to be out on the patio after service. I'd love to chat with you and talk to you. If you have any, I'd love to just encourage you as you sort those things out. God, we sing to you today. We rejoice in you. It's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.